Money, Riches, and Wealth is sponsored by the Financial Consulate. Say you don't need no diamond rings and I'll be satisfied. Tell me that you want the kind of things the money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can buy me love. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Money, Riches, and Wealth. Here's your host, Drew Tignanelli. This is Drew Tignanelli here, Money, Riches, and Wealth. Co-host tonight, Christopher John O'Shea. Yeah, I get to see you six feet away. Yeah. Well, is it six? <laughs> or closer. Well, you know, COVID laws, we got to be six feet away. So, you know, anyway, I am here in person, freezing up here in, uh, in Maryland. And uh, um, I'm letting... It was a hot day today I'm, for, for uh, Maryland in January. <laughs> I sent my credit card and my cell phone down to the comptroller of Maryland so he could keep track of how many days I'm here. And uh, so uh, good luck with that. But we're uh, we're on an open show tonight. So you get to call in, ask the direction of the conversation, 410-922-6680. Call in and you can say this is the topic I want to talk about. 410-922-6680. 410-922-6680. Call in, direct the conversation conversation as what you want, the topics that you feel are most important to you. Are you awake down there, Anastasia? <laughs> yeah, ever since 4 a.m. <laughs> Hell, I've been up since 4.30 myself, so. Yeah, uh, but you weren't, yeah, well, never mind. You weren't, uh, you weren't awake at 10.30 either, so. Ah, there you go. Give me your excuses. Anyway, <laughs> so if you want to call in, 410-922-6680 is the way to call in and direct the conversation. But before they start calling in, and I'm sure they'll call in, now that I'm here in Maryland, they'll They'll greet me with uh, calls and uh, thank me for coming to Maryland and being here with them. Um, so 410-922-6680. Um, you know, Chris, you, you've heard the, the concept of you take a pot of boiling water, throw a frog in it, and it'll jump out of the pot, right? That's right. Okay. Take a pot of lukewarm water, put a frog in it, and the frog will sit in the water. And as you turn the heat on, and as the heat turns up on the water, the frog will just continue to sit in the water, thinking, wow, it's getting a little warm in here. Next thing you know, as the water starts to boil, the frog will stay in the water and actually boil itself to death. Now, that's what they say. I've never tried it. If you ever tried that, don't try it. Don't try that at home. But let's assume that that is the truth, okay? Well, it's a great, it's a good analogy. It's a great analogy. It's a good analogy. But there is a, uh, an analogy in taxes that politicians grabbed onto years ago. And Maryland is really grabbing onto this concept. And that is when you do not inflation protect your taxes. Sure. Right? So Maryland passed a, a rule numerous years ago that said if you make 150000 or more, you lose your Maryland state exemptions. You start to lose your Maryland state exemptions. Correct. It's not inflation adjusted. They right. just passed a new one that said if you make 150000 or more, you don't get this $1,750 credit. It's not inflation adjusted. They have this new one that says if you make $5 million, if you have $5 million at the time of your death, your 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 heirs are going to possibly owe estate taxes. It's not inflation adjusted. Yeah, and they take 
they took the lead, if nothing else, than the federal government and so the Social Security taxation uh, limit. Yeah, but numbers. let's just let's just stick with Maryland okay. here, who's right. who's doing this with these no inflation adjustments. Right. And the reason they do that is because they say, okay, today we're telling you that we're doing this to the rich people. Well, tomorrow, as inflation continues For to go 20 on, twenty years or thirty, five years. years 10 years, 15 years, you become the rich person according to their non-inflation adjusted laws. Correct. And 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 a great example is what you were talking about, okay? And that is is that 40 40 Chris, 40 years ago, Alan Greenspan ran a commission that said you should pay taxes on your social security if as married couple you make more than $34,000, okay? Thirty-four thousand back in 1984. Thirty-four thousand dollars, and back in 1984 is the equivalent. And I did this inflation adjusted. It's over eighty-five to ninety thousand dollars in today's inflation adjusted. Okay, but they never inflation adjusted it. So guess what? In 1984, thirty-four thousand was like a guy today making ninety. That guy making 90 now is considered the rich guy according to that non-inflation Social Security taxation law. And it's just downright criminal that politicians can pass laws that can say that this is the tax law that despite what inflation does, you will become subject to this someday in the future. And you're not screaming about it because you weren't thrown into the boiling pot of water. No, yeah. I mean, if they would have said to uh, people back in 1984 that $90,000 of income is uh is the you know, is the um um you know, uh, that everyone who who makes it would have been the equivalent of about $10,000, that if people make 10,000 or less, then they got to pay taxes on their uh, Social Security, the, the country would have, the seniors would have revolted. There would yep. have been no second yep. term for Ronald Reagan, you know. Sure. But they didn't because they, they thought 34000 gosh, I don't make that. Most people didn't make that. Most people didn't, today don't make more than $90,000. So anyway. The average household does not. We didn't get any callers in the first quarter well, show. Well, they didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a roll. Uh, there you go. That's a good reason. You were on a rant hopefully, and roll. Hopefully when we go into this uh, break with traffic, they'll call in and uh, greet me here. 410-922-6680. All lines are open. 410-922-6680. Take it away, traffic. This is Drew Tignanelli, and I have a question for you. Is your financial advisor a doctor of personal financial advice? Do you get strategies to reduce taxation, Social Security, Medicare advice, sophisticated retirement planning, investment allocation strategies, estate planning, or help with any issue of money? It is time you do a financial physical with me and my team at the consulate and experience the difference. You hear the depth of knowledge we have about personal finance, so do a financial physical and you'll experience what we believe an advisor should do for you. They should be independent, experienced, credentialed, fee-only, comprehensive fiduciaries. They should be a doctor of personal finance and not salespeople selling you products. Set up an introductory meeting by calling 410-823-SAVE, 410-823-SAVE, or go online, financialphysical.com. That's financialphysical.com. It's time you experience the difference. Now back to more of Money, Riches, and Wealth on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been 
Okay. All right. We're back. And I don't feel like I'm working. Am I working? <laughs> I could be sleeping like a log right now. Um, anyway, we're on an open show, 410-922-668. We do have callers on the line next time. We're going to go to them. Brenda in Columbia. Brenda, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Uh -huh. um, it's more tax, income tax related. Can you answer those? Come on, Brenda. Is this the first time you've He'll listened try. to this show? Come on. Go ahead and hit it. To, give it to us. Okay. Okay. So um, we had some stocks, and they are like stocks from a long, 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 long time ago. Did I say a long time ago? A <laughs> long, long time ago. A long time ago. And um, we don't have any documentation of the purchase price for those stocks. And they have since been sold, and now we have to claim the difference between our purchase price and our sales price on our income tax. And we have no way of um, reformulating or figuring it out. How do, what ah, do we do? Fascinating question. Well, if you, if you state that fact that you stated, in other words, if okay. that's your position, then the IRS will say zero cost basis, pay tax on the entire sales proceeds. That's not the answer you want to have, Brenda. What you want to say is that we have pretty good general information about how we purchase these, and we've come up with some good under... You have something over there? You raised well, your hand. I did. Yeah. I was just, so, I was just going to say, how did they acquire this? How, how did they yeah. get the shares? Yeah, how did you get the shares? You bought them. We bought, yeah, we did. Oh, you okay. bought them. Okay, I was just so, going to clarify that so, you didn't receive them as an inheritance. Right? No, they were not inherited. So, or, or so you go back, we go back, and you say, you know, we have general understanding that we bought these shares approximately this time, and this is approximately what the stock was worth. And you build a spreadsheet, and you lay out your, your strategy as to why you believe that this is your cost basis. That's what I would do with a client if I had that situation. Um, you never want to say, we have no idea. So... You're actually, your real name is Linda from, from Georgia or something like that, not Brenda in Columbia. And you didn't say that earlier. What you said is, I'm building a spreadsheet of what I think was the cost basis, and I'm pretty confident I can defend this if I have to. Well, you go back to the year. You can go back with historical prices yeah. or stocks. You go yeah. back to about when you bought them. I mean, it isn't just uh, and you thin build air. And you build it all up again, okay? Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. You take care. Good question. I'd have preferred to answer that on the telephone with her by myself. <laughs> Lou in the Inner Harbor, how can we help you? Hey, Drew. Yeah, how you doing? Good. Happy New Year to you. Um, I got a bit of a problem. I had a mortgage many years ago with a company that I really disliked. Because I bought, I, I had a rocket mortgage, and they sold my mortgage to a group of shysters who I couldn't stand. Okay. I got, I got away from that mortgage, fortunately, with that particular company, and I just got a letter in the mail from that company telling me that they had a data breach in October, and that my um, my personal information was in all likelihood compromised. Okay. So um, they gave me, uh, they said. Like they gave you a life lock type thing for a year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But the way this company is, they're so messed up that I can't, I would never count on them to do anything correctly. Uh, 
So I was wondering if you could recommend, uh, an, you know, a company, whether you like LifeLock or some other company, um, because I just don't have any confidence in this right. particular mortgage Well, you take you all. take what they're giving you for free, okay? That's the first thing you do. And I have good news for you. Your information's already been stolen about 25 other times from other places, like Equifax and your doctor, et cetera, the federal government. <laughs> so don't feel too bad that this company lost your information, too. What really too. irritated me was that I, I despised this mortgage company so much. They <laughs> but, would, they but would let me— Let me, let me tell you now what you should be doing, okay? And every every listener out there should be doing this. First thing you do is every single person, whether you've ever had any notification from anyone that anyone has ever stolen your information, since 2006, I froze my credit reports carte blanche in 2006. And if you haven't got yours frozen by now, you're really putting yourself at serious risk. So you go to Equifax, you go to TransUnion, you go to um, Experian, and you say, I want to freeze my credit reports permanently. And it's really easy to thaw them when you're, when you're making a loan. I mean, Chris and I could thaw our credit reports out right this minute on our cell phones within, you know, two minutes at the very most. We go in, we log into Experian, we say we want to thaw our credit report for a day or two, and, and boom, the, the credit report is thawed and somebody can check my credit. That is absolutely the number one thing that every listener should be doing. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have no money. You should be freezing your credit reports and only thawing them when you want to make a loan with somebody. Second thing you do, you go into every single financial account you have, whether it's... Uh, or, or any account, any online account you have, you want dual-factor authentication, you want notifications set up on all of them. Why do I need LifeLock if I have dual-factor authentication and I have notifications? I don't really need LifeLock. I can do this all myself, and it's actually more efficient than anything LifeLock can provide except for that million dollars of insurance per se, but that's really peanuts for you could buy that. You, you, most of your uh, homeowners policies carry like $25,000 of identity theft protection and so forth. Notifications. Is there any, is there any particular downside to uh, freezing your account other than? No, uh, sir. Like for a mortgage no, or a car loan or something. No, you know, there is one. I give, give you one. If you go to get car insurance and your, and your credit report is frozen and you forget that you froze your credit report, you, you might get a bad quote from a car insurance company because they all look at your credit reports nowadays, believe it or not. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, but, you know, I've had mine frozen since 2006, and I'm darn glad that I did it. So... That's what you got to do, Lou. I got to run. All right. Great call. Great call. Great question. And I got to go to uh, Bill in Perry Hall. Bill, how can I help you? Yes. Hi. I have a couple, two questions. I think they're fairly easy. If, if someone owns stock and then they pass away, um, is it best to, and they're just going to, just one person who's a benefactor, do, is it best to sell the stock and put it in the bank account or, and, and, and do they get the capital gains? Automatically, or so wait. Say say that again. If you you both own stock, say it again. Stock, yes. mm-hmm. Right. If someone owns stock, okay, and they pass away, okay, and there's just an executor left. There was no will. 
and, and the, the family member is the executor. Okay. So, the question, so what's the best way to um, dispose or organize the stock? Okay, so you have two options on that one, Bill. So let's say my, my mother passes away and leaves AT&T to me, okay? Right. And um, she paid two bucks a share for it, and it's worth 13 right now. So there's fairly large capital gain. The minute she passes away, that capital gain is eliminated. I get a step up in basis. And so if I sell the stock uh, you know, a few weeks later at the price it was trading for at the time of her passing, I have no capital gain whatsoever, Okay. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Your your basis in the stock is the value at the time of death, okay? Now, the executor has two choices. They could either sell the stock and lock in the cash that is worth at that time, or they can hold the stock and divvy it out in kind to the beneficiaries. All beneficiaries will still have that full market value at date of death step up in basis, but it's totally up to the executor and the family whether they want to sell it and take no risk of the fluctuation of the stock or whether they want to hold on to the stock and keep it um, because they like it. So maybe it's uh, Apple stock and you say, man, I'd like to continue to own Apple. So you might keep it. On the other hand, if it's AT&T, you'd want to sell it as fast as you get it. <laughs> um, I've only got about 20 seconds, so you're going to have to hold on if you want to ask another question. Okay, Bill? It's an easy question, yes, sir. Okay, so you, you hold on, and I'll do that. we got to take a, a pause, but I tell you, we have lines open. All lines are open, actually, because other than Bill's. 410-922-6680, 410-922-6680. Take it away, traffic. Back to more of Money, Riches, and Wealth on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. And we're back, Money, Riches, and Wealth, here with Christopher John O'Shea. You still down there? I am. You didn't fall asleep on See, me. See, eyes did. look bright, don't they? <laughs> don't they the look bright? The, the eyes look bright now, don't they? They do. There you go. They look great. It's all that great know? water. And um, we're on an open show. We're going to answer Bill's uh, other question. What is that? What is that? Is that a song? <laughs> John you Lennon. Sure? Yeah, By the who? Beatles. John, John Lennon. No way. No Beatles I ever knew. You know? John they, Lennon. They, they have a new, new song with AI that they finalized from John Lennon. The Beatles. That, I that, heard about it. I haven't actually heard it. I haven't heard it either. I don't know what I ever want to hear. It, you know. <laughs> anyway, our theory. That, my theory <clears> at the time was you in late sixties. You were either your, your family's either a Beatles fan family or a Rolling Stones family, one or the other. Rarely did you find people who loved them both. And then there was me who didn't care Neither. about either. <laughs> he, either. <laughs> either. Anyway, Even at we're ten years old. I didn't, you know, I didn't care. I was, I was, my favorite song was like, they're taking me away to the funny farm. Uh -huh, or Green Beret. Uh -huh. <laughs> Green Beret. <laughs> and Green Beret. There you go. Bill and Perry Hall, what can we answer as your second question? Okay. The, the background on the second question is the person who passed away was in New York, lived in New York, and the, the executor is in California. So the question is, um, there's several bank. There's several banks involved uh, where her, there's supposed to be savings, checking accounts, and, that's, and all those sort of things. Is, is it okay to, when she has gets her letters of administration, to cancel all those three bank accounts, close the accounts, and put them into one account, 
uh, with the estate of, say, Jane Doe. Is that is that a yeah? That's okay? the way you do it. That's the way you do it, actually. You know, what you just said is the way you do it. So the executor, whether in Maryland or New York or whatever, you set up an estate account and all the assets that are out there are converged into an estate account. So you might have an estate bank account and an estate brokerage account. Any stocks would go into the estate brokerage account and then you either sell them or keep them and all the uh, cash might sit in a bank account. And that's what you'll do. You'll accumulate all those assets in uh, some convenient location until the executor gets through all the expenses and so forth. And then we'll finalize the estate and distribute the assets. Do you happen to know whether New York has an inheritance tax? They have an estate tax. How much was the estate worth approximately? $2 million, $20 million? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, maybe forty, fifty thousand. No, forty or fifty thousand. No, no. New York has no tax on a forty or fifty thousand estate. It's only if okay. it were it were like six point five million, then you have a problem. I don't have any friends. Wealthy. Yeah, you should have friends like that too. Well, but if they lived in Pennsylvania, you'd be. In Pennsylvania, you'd have a little bit of a problem. Forty, yeah. fifty thousand. I mean, it would still only no, be about fifteen hundred bucks. No, but but it, but it hits everybody. Yeah, it hits everybody. It's kind of foolish. I don't know what Pennsylvania's thinking about. All right, Bill. Good question. You take care and have a great New Year, my friend. Uh, we're going to next. Next in Hartford County. I guess that's AJ is next in Hartford. I, I knew what it was. I needed. But thank you for the Hartford help. County. Hey, yeah, AJ yeah. Rob, in Hartford Rob, County. Rob, how Rob, can Rob. I help you? Yeah, hi. Um, my wife and I formed uh, an LLC for rental property. Okay. And uh, for tax purposes, I guess in legal, is it best to be in one one name or both names? Well, you mean um, in your name, the LLC is owned fifty percent by you and fifty percent by her, or a hundred percent in one of your names? Is that what you're asking? Well, the LLC, right? Is it is it best to put it in one name? One of the two of you's names, yeah, right? Correct, correct, well, you see, correct. but the, the reason I asked that question is you could have three properties and you could be asking me, do I want all three properties in one LLC or do I want an LLC for each of the three properties? No, it's one, one property, one LLC. The one LLC, because you're husband and wife, and I believe you are husband and wife, right? Yes. Okay, because you're husband and wife, it doesn't matter if you put it in one name or two names. Um, I would probably put it in two names, um, you know, probably there'd be no reason not to. Um, that way, you know, you both can control the LLC and you don't have to worry about if one of you becomes disabled or something. So um, because you're husband and wife, the taxes aren't going to be affected at all. Right, because I think the, the lawyer said it's best to put it in one name. And his reasoning was? I wasn't 100% clear. I guess I don't know how that would work if, if somebody sued us. I mean, I, yeah, they I still know. can only take the LLC, you know, so I don't know what what the difference is, you know. So in your, in your opinion. Is I guess what he's, he maybe if maybe what he was saying is, is that if AJ's driving down the road and he has an auto accident and they sue AJ for the assets that AJ owns and it's Fifty percent in his name, they get fifty percent of it. But if it's a hundred percent in your wife's name, they get none of it. The other side of the story is if she has the accident and it's a hundred percent in her name, then they take a hundred percent of it. So you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily. I'd like to hear the lawyer's opinion of that one. I'm not a, I, I don't, I, I don't. It's not something I would say there's a big difference to. Right, but 
tax purposes. Tax purposes, it's irrelevant your husband it's wife. irrelevant. Yep. Gotcha. All right. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, sir. Good call. Good question. We're going to Bert in Towson. Bert, how can we help you? Uh, nice talk to you, Drew. Uh, two quick questions. I'll take uh, one. I had a uh, uh, sister that passed uh, recently and had property that she was running out in Lewis, Delaware. The uh, house was going to us and it's from her trust. And uh, if the income, if we keep it, don't sell the house and use her rental income, how is that taxed? At what rate? Is there any way to do it more advantageously or not? Are you the sole heir to her estate? Uh, well, uh, we have another sister that, that got willed another house in Rehoboth. So, but the house that you, the house that you're talking about, is solely aired yeah. by to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the way it works is, if there's any rental income off of that, all right. of that income will pass to you on what is either a K one if it's going through the estate, or if it's own, it, like if this, the house was in a life estate deed, it's just part of your income because you know it doesn't matter how you but is it tax just like regular my regular income yeah it's um so what happens I mean, bird is capital. so what happens is you, you 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 it's a schedule e if you pull that up on a computer you'll look at a schedule e and it'll first thing it'll say is what income did you make and the second the next bunch of lines will say well what expenses did you have did you have any advertising expenses did you have any cleaning expenses did you have any right. mortgage rental management company so we have to pay the, she was paying yeah. them and, and, and maintenance and there's still a mortgage left on and all that yeah and so you're going to go through all those expenses and then you're going to say okay i had 20,000 of income i had 15,000 of expenses and then you get to do a thing called depreciation, which is not a cash expense. That's just a deduction on your tax return, even though you didn't put cash out for it. So you get that deduction. So you could have $5,000 left over in profit, but not actually have 5000 in income that you have to report. So that's the cool thing about rental properties. Kind of like an offset? Yeah, it's kind of like an offset. But uh, up too long. And the other question is directly actually with your company. My wife and I are still working. Uh, we waited until 71. We're both in our early 70s to take Social Security at the highest rate. But we're going to retire pretty soon. We don't have a financial advisor. We listen to you, or I do, all the time. And uh, you said something once to somebody that had called in a couple months ago about if we would go to you, and uh, we live in Taos and you have an office there, uh, it's something like, it's like when you manage, how, how, are we how are you compensated? Excuse me. Um, so well, first thing we do is a financial physical. The right. financial physical is the way that you get to learn about us. We get to learn about you. And, and you can then decide whether we're a good fit for you. And we can decide if you're a good fit for us. And once the physical's over, that's when the two of us get to you know make that kind of decision. And uh, and then we can talk more about how our, our our fees work and so forth. But the first two meetings of the financial physical is no obligation to you. So that's you the that's like the beauty. One to two percent, but is, when you base it on that, um, is it of the total value of, of everything we own? Or no, no, no. Just what we would actually asset. be either managing or supervising. And that's why you, you should do an intro with us so we can explain that in more detail for you. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't want to hold you up. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for asking that question. 410-823-7283 is how to call our office. But right now, we have to take a pause with traffic. Ted, I hope you'll hold on with me. And uh, I'll be with you right after this pause with traffic. But we do have lines open, 410-922-6680. Take it away, traffic. This is Drew Tignanelli, and I have a question for you. Is your financial advisor a doctor of personal financial advice? Do you get strategies to reduce taxation, Social Security, Medicare advice, sophisticated retirement planning, investment allocation strategies, estate planning, or help with any issue of money? It is time you do a financial physical with me and my team at the consulate and experience the difference. You hear the depth of knowledge we have about personal finance, so do a financial physical and you'll experience what we believe an advisor should do for you. They should be independent, experienced, credentialed, fee-only, comprehensive fiduciaries. They should be a doctor of personal finance and not salespeople selling you products. Set up an introductory meeting by calling 410 410- 823-SAVE, 410-823-SAVE, or go online, financialphysical.com. That's financialphysical.com. It's time you experience the difference. A dream believer by the monkeys. <laughs> anyway, we got a good reason here, Anita. <laughs> yeah, any. See, it helps when they have the name of the song right in the why, why is she tripping in the day? <laughs> anyway, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I want to be responsible. Anyway, we're going. We're on an open show. We're, we've got 10 minutes to go. We might take another call or two. We do have Ted on the line. So if, if you had a question you still wanted to ask, you, there's still a line or two, uh, at least three lines are open right now. But let's go to Ted in Cadensville. Ted, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you today? Great. Thanks for holding on for us. And uh, what can we do for you, my friend? So I have been snowboarding for a few years now down to Florida. Snowboarding? And I am snowboarding, um, <laughs> not boarding. Too old for that one and can't do that in Florida. Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm thinking about making the official move and pushing it to 180 whatever days I need to to live in Florida. That's to not the law. Maryland. Excuse me? That's not the law. Everybody well, says that. Everybody says that, 180 days, 180 days, and I become a Florida resident. That's not the law. If you, you think that's the law, the Comptroller of Maryland is going to come looking for you. So you learn what the law is. Is that what you're asking? Yes, sir. Okay, so here's, here's the law. You have to make Florida your home, your personal residence. Now, here's what that means, okay? And this is the literal definition. You're on a cruise, all right? And and all of a sudden you think you and your wife think, you know, I just miss being home. I'm I'm you know, this is gonna be a great cruise, but I just wanna go home. Where do you think in your heart you wanna go? That's what the term that's what uh residency is all about. It's not about 180 days. Because if you go 180 days in Florida and 180 days in Maryland, 
You know, you've got to prove that Florida is really where you want to be. And the way to do that, you know, because obviously the court can't get into your heart to figure out exactly where your thinking home is. But the way you prove that is you get your driver's license down there. You register your cars down there. You live there the majority of the time. And that's why people use that, you know, you know that, you know, but, you know, just go in there one extra day doesn't necessarily do that. You know, you 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 make your life about being in Florida and Maryland's just a temporary thing that you go to because you still have kids up here or something of that sort. You want your doctors to be down there. You want your church to be down there. You want your golf course to be down there. You want your pet to be down there. You want your pets. pet to be down there. Chris says that he loves that because there was an email that New York City used or New York State used against the guy because he they 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 went after him saying you were still your heart was still in New York. And they had an email that said, "Hey, Send Buddy on down. I really believe Texas is where I want to be now. It was like two years after he had been claiming that Texas, which is a tax-free state, was the state that he wanted, that he was making his residence. And they took that email and said, well, you didn't call your dog down? And you now finally say, and in your email, you want your dog to go two years later? And you've been telling us that you're not a New York resident and your heart isn't in New York? Give me a break. And he lost the case so that's what it's all about my friend is that helpful that, that is helpful and it's not as easy as i thought it might be well you know I, i'll give you one thing and you know after i say this it may no longer be true but maryland is not as aggressive against this as new york is so but i wouldn't expect it to be too long before Maryland starts getting ridiculously aggressive in this area also. So that's why I tell all all clients, if you want to be a Florida resident, make it your resident. Vote down there. File your tax returns down there. Get your driver's license down there. Live there. Move your memorabilia down there. Make your golf course down there. Now, my doctor's still here in Maryland, but I the only thing I have in Maryland, my company is here. But I, I do I do the a large amount of work out of my Florida office. I got a Pennsylvania office, so you know Maryland can't argue that my heart is in any way, shape, or form in Maryland. Matter of fact, no, if, if they, they listened in any way, shape, or form, they would realize <laughs> it is not Maryland. <laughs> and you know the right. funny thing is, is if you listen, if you looked at my wife's heart, I mean she she lived she absolutely loved Maryland until about two or three years ago, and when we moved down there. I mean, she has no desire. She's here this week with me, and she's like, when are we going home? And the answer is Saturday. So she's looking forward to going home on Saturday. So if, if they were um, to audit you, can they go as far as checking phone records? Well, that's what they do, actually. One of the two key things they'll do is go after your credit card and the ping on your telephone for an entire year. So... Right. And they'll check your driver's license, and they'll check your this and that, and they'll get all information, and they'll pursue every information about, you know, where you have things, what are your main, you know, things that you do, all kinds of stuff. So you got to be careful. Um, these states are getting aggressive. If you lived in New York, you'd have to be extremely careful. And the penalty in Maryland is, I assume, more than paying the taxes that you owe? 
Well, it's paying the taxes you owe, and then they're going to ask you for interest and penalties for not paying it for the period of time you didn't pay it. I'll give you an example of how bad New York is now. You ready for this? When this all happened, a lot of that really triggered with COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. New York's New York's horrible at this. But, um, um, you know, in New York, uh, if you own a residence in the state of New York and you're there more than 90 days, they consider you a resident of the state of New York. Now, there's a difference between domicile and resident, believe it or not. They're two different types of words. And they consider you a resident and that you owe income taxes to the state of New York for only 90 days, okay, because you have a residence there. Maryland isn't that aggressive yet, but I would, wouldn't expect it to be too many years in the future that they could be just as, as, uh, as uh, you know, overreaching as New York is right now. So so do it do it wisely, my friend. Don't don't do it haphazardly. Make sure you have good tax advice when you do it, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, buddy. Good call. Good question. A great topic. You know, <clears throat> we've only have a couple minutes left here, Chris. You know, I I came up with a funky topic that I wanted to teach our listeners. All right. All right. Diminish value. You know, most people don't don't know anything about this, but let me let me explain what diminished it value. It comes up from time to time. That does come up, and it and it's probably more frequent out there than people realize. So you're you're driving along, and all of a sudden you're you're rear-ended, and somebody hits your your car in the rear end, and you take it to the shop, and um, they say it's going to cost um, three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, fix your car. Okay. And you say, okay, and their insurance company is going to pay it. So you say to the uh, collision center, go ahead and fix it, $4,000, right? And you get your $4,000 fixed, and you're not hurt, okay? Even if you were hurt, it's totally irrelevant for diminished value. So you get your car fixed, and you you think, okay, well, they, they fixed my car. And most people leave it there and nothing else. Well, well, what happened is you just got your car that never been in an accident repaired for $4,000, and now your car that you have is back to sort of new, but it's still a car with a, with a um, um, you know, that had been demolished to some degree with an accident that has been repaired. And if you tried to sell that car, Carfax is going to tell everybody his brother, yeah, that car was in an accident, had $4,000 of damage, and it was in the rear, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll know everything about it. And they're going to say, oh, you want to sell that car to me for $25,000? No way. You know, it was in an accident. I want, I'm only going to pay you $20,000 for it. That's called diminished value. And there are ways that you can... You can determine what that is. And so the other person that damaged your car doesn't just have to fix your car. They also have to give you a lump sum of cash to reimburse you for the diminished value that you had for that car. So do not ever, if the accident clearly wasn't your fault, do not just get your car repaired. Also make sure you get the diminished value for that loss. And there are adjusters that you can hire to give a good uh, defendable position of what your diminished value yeah, is. Irrespective of what your, uh, of, of the of the future of the car, whether you dispose it yeah, right then doesn't matter. Or, or keep it indefinitely. Yeah. 
Only if they total the car do you uh, have yeah. no diminished value because they've totaled the car. They gave you every value it was worth. Yep. But um, you always want to remember what diminished value is if you're ever in an accident it wasn't your fault. Anyway, we're out of time. Uh, Nita gave us a lot of interesting songs, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> the Beatles. I like the Beatles. And anyway, this is Tignelli saying God bless. <laughs>